Okay, if you have a Bible, please open up to uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we'll be reading from verse 45 on. And the title of this message, I don't normally give the title or say it, but I will say it because I don't know why I called it this, because this was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, the epiphany, an epiphany and difficulty. It's like you see God in the middle of difficulty. And if you've ever experienced anything like this, once, we, once I put this title on there, I kind of already knew, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really hard Sunday. And so we walked in, and we have to set up this place every single morning, uh, every single Sunday morning. And I guess there was a rager last night here, and they didn't do a thing to clean it. And so we came in, and it was, in, it was crazy. And the sound didn't work, and my mic got lost, and I mean, all this stuff. And we come in here, and I just text messages. I'm like, how's everything going? They're like, it, we haven't sound, it's really bad. And so we, when I came in this morning, everyone was just this is the first time everybody's in the back room ready to pray already. Like, hey, they're waiting for you. We should pray. I'm like, it's that bad, huh? We, it's, um, it, it, was, it was pretty crazy. And so whenever this happens, whenever, and this is, could be the smallest difficulties or the biggest difficulties. Some of you guys aren't going through big storms in your life. I mean, your life is good. You're getting paid well. I mean, you, you, you live down the street from where you work, so you don't have to take public transportation. You just walk to work. Life is good. But there are little storms that hit and that, like, bump you off course a bit. And following Jesus might be really, really difficult for you. Or even just trying to figure out who Jesus is might be difficult for you which is actually the whole point of Mark's gospel. And so today, as we read through this section of scripture, let's keep in mind that those things, those difficulties in our lives, how is it that God will sometimes send us through these difficult things so that we can see God, that we can see Jesus in the midst of our storms? That is the point of this little uh, pericope here in Mark chapter 6. So, Mark 6, let me read it to you, and and then I'll pray. We'll start at verse 45. If you guys remember from last week, um, Jesus is told everyone to sit down on the green grass. It was like these echoes of Psalm 23. Sit down on the green grass, and he starts feeding everyone, and he feeds 5,000 men plus their family and kids and our wife and kids, and he feeds them through the disciples' hands, and um, right after that, it says in verse 45, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, while, while he dismissed the crowd, verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, after the crowd left, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening had come, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass them by, which is a really funny statement. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all were afraid of him. They were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored there to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole uh, region and began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. 
and many as he uh, and as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Lord, I am um, just so absolutely humbled to teach this text this morning. And I pray, God, that you would give us ready hearts to receive your word, that our hearts would be um, cultivated and fertile. Lord, that your word can take root in our heart and grow deep into our hearts and into our souls and change us, God. You're the only one who can change us. You're the only one who can actually control us without absolutely destroying our lives. You're the only one, Lord. You know what we need. You know how to meet our needs. You know what we don't need. You know how to meet every single part of us, Lord. And so I pray, God, for um, people here that might follow you and walk with you but find it difficult to trust in you sometimes or to see you in certain circumstances or maybe at work or at home or something. I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would open our eyes, that we would see God in the midst of our storms. And I pray that we, this wouldn't be too cliche this morning. I ask, God, that you give us fresh ears to hear these things, God. Maybe if we grew up in church or we've heard about Jesus walking on the water and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray you make it fresh to our ears and to our minds and to our hearts today. I submit my mind to you and my heart and I ask that you would teach us today by your Holy Spirit that you would anoint me, God, please. We ask this for your glory, Jesus, and in your name, amen. Amen. Well, in our time together in Mark, we've been in Mark now for several months, we've been looking at the story of Jesus. And we've said since the beginning of this book that Mark has set out to write down, and he was the first one to do so, to write down an account of who Jesus really is. And the way that Mark has done this is one of my favorite ways is through story, is through narrative. This is the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus, is through this narrative. And in this narrative, Mark is clearly inviting people. He's clearly inviting us to put our faith in the good news about the arrival of the, of the Son of God, the arrival of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And what Mark does here is he shows us Jesus, who Jesus really is and why Jesus embodies the good news of the kingdom of God. But the way that Mark has written this story is as a, uh, a coherent narrative. But we have been studying at it at a bit of a disadvantage because we break it up every single week. The first people to experience the gospel of Mark would have experienced the whole, the whole gospel of Mark at one time. They would have heard it proclaimed to them in groups, like on a single occasion. So the first hearers would have been involved in the drama of the story, the unfolding narrative of it. They experienced the tension and the conflicts in this story as they pass from episode to episode and how every episode carries something about itself into the next episode. And they would have identified with the characters and felt the suspense about the outcome of the story about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And they would have left and they would have emerged from the story, able to see the world around them in a new way, with like new possibilities awakened to them because of the story of Jesus. Now, you and I, of course, we've been changed. Several of you, a lot of you I've talked to have been changed through the book of Mark already. But the, the way in which Mark tells a story is to be taken as a whole piece. And when you do that, 
you can see how all the pieces fit together to reveal the nature and the character and the action of Jesus. So it's hard. Right now, we've been breaking it up. We go, okay, this look at this story and this story and this story and this story. So we have a bit of a disadvantage when we look at this book week after week after week, breaking it up in chunks. It'd be like if you went, and if you haven't seen the movie Inception, I'm sorry, you probably won't understand this. But if you went to see this movie and you broke it up in chunks, and it, the story would not make any sense. The way that uh, Christopher Nolan put together Wonderful Storyteller was as a whole piece. And you can imagine your favorite, not that it's my favorite movie, but it's a great movie. If your favorite movie, if you took it in chunks, like, okay, we're going to watch this chunk, this 20-minute chunk, and we're going to take a commercial break for a week, and then we're going to come back and watch another chunk. You would, you would forget how everything fits together to tell a whole story. And this is what Mark does. In his narrative, he tells it as a whole story. It all fits together. And there's tension that builds and builds and builds. And if you remember, like in chapter 4, 5, and now 6, this tension is building about who is this Jesus. I mean, he, in chapter 4, he, he's asleep in a boat. And there's a huge storm that's raging everywhere. And the disciples are going uh, to die. And they look to Jesus, and he's asleep, and they're going that's a miracle. How does he do that? And they wake him up and they say, don't you care? And he goes, of course I care. And he calms the wind and the waves. And they're like, who are you? Then he gets off and then he heals this demoniac, which no man can tame at all. And he's in the tombs and he's like naked and like broken chains everywhere. And he comes out and nobody, no doctor, no, 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 no therapist, nobody can help this man. But Jesus goes, let this man be free leave this man alone, and he casts the demons out, and this man is in his right mind. And then right after that, he goes back on the other side of the sea, and he heals this woman who had this flow of blood for 12 years, and no doctor could heal her. Actually, every doctor made her broke and worse. Normally, doctors are looked down on really, in really good light in the, in the scriptures, but nobody can heal this woman. And then it moves on. Then he raises this little 12-year-old girl up from the grave. And it's like when you take it as a chunk like that. Now, we took all those in separate weeks. But when you, see it, when you step back and see it as a whole narrative piece, you're like, oh, my gosh. Jesus is unstoppable. Like, he's over storms and weather. He's over demons and Satan. He's over sickness. And he's over death. He's powerful over all this. And Mark tells the story to build and build and build. And then we, now we see him feeding 5,000. And what this does here in this narrative, in this part of the story, it points to something Old Testament. Remember I said there was like echoes of Psalm 23? Jesus or God is a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He satisfies or he restores my soul. And so all these people are around. And it says he looks at them like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus goes, they need to be fed. And so he starts to feed them his word. And then they get physically hungry. And his disciples go, um, Jesus, they're getting hungry. And then Jesus goes, you feed them. <laughs> like, us feed them? I don't think you know, Jesus. We don't have any money. And we can't. What are we going to do? Go out and buy all kinds of food and do like a catering event right now? There's no way in the world we can do this. They say, it's impossible. And last week we said that was exactly the point. And Jesus said, yes, it is impossible. What do you have? Well, we have some, um, some bread, which was ironic because last week we ran out of communion, which was, I thought was a really funny little ironic twist to the story in, in Mark. 
Like, we literally ran out of communion. They came back like, there's no more communion. I'm like, God, please, you know. <laughs> and they go, we, oh, it's so embarrassing. They go, we got Triscuits or something. I'm like, put it out there. Like, we had Triscuits and apple juice for communion last week. I don't know if you knew this. It's very embarrassing. It's, it'll be funny in like five years. It's still not that funny. It's still a little fresh here <laughs> to me. And we took like Triscuits or Wheat Thins or something like that and apple juice. I'm like, apple juice is not even on the map. Like, that's, a, that's not, no. I know that Jesus could turn water into wine, but apple juice into wine is like a, a stretch. <sighs> anyway, sorry, a little confession there. Jesus feeds these people through the disciples' hands. Now, it says there, I don't know if you caught this, but it says there that they were supposed to understand something. They were supposed to get something about Jesus sitting everybody down in groups on green grass, feeding them the word of God, and then feeding them physically, miraculously, as a good shepherd would, and then he dismisses them. Oh, that's just a good picture. I love the book of Mark. He, he, like, he, he tells the disciples, hey, go to the other side of the sea, and then he dismisses the crowd. Okay, everybody, you guys can leave now. Go home. God bless you. Benediction. People are coming up to Jesus. He's like hugging them. See you later. Good to see you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And like, he's just hugging everybody, just seeing everybody off. People that are like, need some counseling or whatever, he's talking to them. And just awesome. Jesus, just this good shepherd, dismissing the crowd. And everybody leaves, and he goes and he prays. And it says, Mark says there, and he gives us this little interpretive clue here on how to understand this story. Because you and I, in this narrative, we might not get it. We might not understand. How, what is this all leading to? What are you talking about here? And so Mark throws in this little interpretive clue. I don't know if you saw it, but it's in verse 51. It says, and then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Listen, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Mark throws in this little interpretive clue. He's like, he just throws in it as, as, a, good, as a good narrator. He's like, throws it in, okay, if you really want to understand what's going on, they didn't know what was going on because they didn't get the fish and the loaves thing. They didn't understand what, what that was pointing to. And so they tripped out when they went to the storm again. And they tripped out when they saw Jesus again because they didn't understand about the loaves. The loaves... The loaves connect back to what we talked about last week. Mark is saying that they didn't get who Jesus really was with the fish and the loaves. They didn't perceive him the way they should have. And then it says their hearts were hardened. They had hard hearts. Remember, Jesus taught about hard hearts in chapter 4. When Jesus was beside the Sea of Galilee and he was teaching people in beautiful parables, and he taught this parable about how God's word are like seeds that fall on different soils. And these soils represent us. They represent our heart's response to God's word. They represent how we respond to the gospel. And one of these hearts was this hard, rocky heart that heard the word of God, that saw Jesus, was so stoked, excited, received him with joy, but it had no root. And they never understood Jesus beyond that visceral, emotional response. They got really excited, but then their heart was hard, and the word never took root. And when tribulation or persecution or great difficulty arose, they fell away. So what are we to learn from all this? As Mark is telling this story, as he's wrapping us up in who Jesus is, what are we to learn? What does Mark want us to know and learn about who Jesus is right here in this story? 
Three things that we'll look through. Number one, a different rescue, a different revelation, and a different response. A different rescue, a different revelation, and a different response. The first one, a different rescue. Now, recall last week, Jesus asks his disciples to get away to a quiet place, a quiet and desolate place with him to rest a while, and he does. And then the crowd, and in Mark chapter 6, is the height of Jesus' popularity. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's a giant crowd. Even at the end of this uh, story, when they cross over to the other side of the sea, people are just waiting there. They see him, and everyone tells their friends, they start bringing all their friends and mats and all this stuff. This is the height of Jesus' popularity. So they go there uh, into this desolate place, but people find out that they're there, and they tell them, and everyone shows up, and Jesus starts to teach them, and then he starts to feed them. And what Jesus does when he blessed the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples to feed the people through the disciples' hands, it says that everyone was full and they were satisfied. There was something about that. There was something about Jesus feeding everybody, them being full and satisfied because of his word and because of his provision that they were supposed to see and get something about the character and the mission of Jesus. They were to see through that miracle, but they didn't see it. So Jesus says in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. So he rushes them to the boat. Hey, guys, get into the boat really fast. He jams them into the boat, and he goes, I'll meet you in Bethsaida. I'll meet you on the other side. And then he went back, and he dismissed the crowd oh so lovingly. I love that little part. Just goes back and says bye to everybody. And when he had taken leave of them, when everyone had left, he went up to the mountain, and he went and prayed. And after all this activity, Jesus goes up to this mountain beside the Sea of Galilee, there's Sea of Galilee, there's all these mountains and hills all around the Sea of Galilee. He goes up to one of them, and he's praying to the Father. All of this ministerial activity is finished by him praying. And look at verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea. The disciples were out on the middle of the sea about when evening came. And he was alone on the land. Jesus was alone. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. This word painfully is torturous. They were making, they were making headway torturously, like everything was against them. The wind was torturing them. And Jesus could be physically or even supernaturally saw them. The lake isn't that big. It was probably a full moon. Jesus could have been on top of the mountain looking down, seeing them trying to make headway, seeing them rowing, seeing them in the middle of the storm. Or he could have sensed it, known it supernaturally because he is and this is the point of this story. He is God in flesh. He could have known they are going through, through this storm painfully, torturously. They're in the midst of torture. And about the fourth watch of the night, it says, the fourth watch of the night was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They had been trying to row now for hours and hours and hours and got nowhere. It says Jesus came to them. And Mark just throws this in ever so just like, Nonchalant, no big deal, walking on the sea. Jesus just walking, and the word walking means like he was making physical contact with the, with the, with the water, with his, the soles of his feet. Like he was making real contact like, hard, like on hard ground. He's walking, strolling on the sea. And then it says this very, very weird thing. And he meant to pass them. 
He's walking, he's like, I don't know what this really means. Everyone has a different opinion. But he meant to pass them. Like he was going, he's like, there they are. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to meet them in Bethsaida. And then I'm going to be like, guys, I'm over here. I'll see you guys there. I'll meet you there. And then they saw him and they thought he was a ghost. They went immediately ghost. I mean, they've seen Jesus do everything, everything. Heal the dead. And they thought, they immediately went, oh my gosh, a ghost. We're going to die. I'm dead. You're dead. Are we dead? Are we, did we just die? I think there's somebody walking out. It's a ghost. They didn't go, it's Jesus. They didn't go, that might, that might be the Lord. We've seen him do other things. No, they went, ghost. They went, we're haunted. We're like, we're doomed. We're done. And yeah, we laugh because that's us. Immediately when things go difficult in our lives, we're like, Satan. Everything is Satan. And God hates me. God hates me. And everyone hates me. The world hates me. I was feeling this way driving to church today. I'm driving to church and I can't get here because of the race. And I get, I get so close and then it's blocked. I'm like left and then blocked again. And then, le- and then I ended up going all the way back home. And I was just going to stay home. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to church today because I can't get there. And I'm like, and then immediately my heart wanted to go, you hate me, God. Why do you hate me? I can't even get to the, my own church. Can I please just go to church today? Immediately we go there. So quick in our hearts. And they did too. They're on, on the, on the, uh, in their storm and they look at Jesus. They're like, it's, it's a ghost. And they saw him and they cried out. Now this is a very, very strange miracle. It's strange because the disciples were not in dire trouble here. They weren't dying. Remember the last storm in, in chapter 4? It says that the, that the storm had almost overtaken them. They were literally going down. They were dying. They're not dying in this story. Nobody's dying. They're just having a difficult time. They're just being tortured by the wind and the waves. They're not dying. They're not drowning. They're professionals, remember? So this storm wasn't a, a hurricane. It was just a wind, a windstorm. And they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're like, this is hard. The rowing was difficult. The storm was big, but it wasn't life-threatening like the storm in chapter 4. So this was a different rescue. This was a different kind of rescue than ever before because the rescue wasn't to save them from some physical danger. The rescue wasn't there to save them from physical danger. Typically, miracles of Jesus are rescue operations where Jesus rescues someone from physical danger or physical threats, like demons, or sicknesses, or disease, or blindness, or paralysis, or a life-threatening storm. The disciples' situation here is not one of terrible danger. But listen, they were up against, what they were up against in this storm was the inability to make progress. They couldn't move forward. It wasn't that the storm was going to overtake them. It wasn't that they were dying. It wasn't that, oh my gosh, we're going to die out here. It was just that they couldn't make progress. They couldn't push on. Remember their goal. Their goal was to meet Jesus in Bethsaida, but they couldn't get there. They couldn't get to where Jesus wanted them to go because of this storm. And they tried with all their physical might, with all their human strength. They exerted all their physical and emotional effort, but they were stuck. It was like everything was against them. And to try to get to where Jesus wanted them to go was torture. And this, like Mark does so wonderfully, 
points to something a lot deeper. Mark always does this. He just shows you something on the surface like, oh yeah, that points to something way deeper. And this is the thing that it points to. Because as Jesus walked on the water out to them, he wasn't doing it to rescue them from death. Jesus wasn't going out there going, oh, I better rescue them. They're going down. They're going to die. No, he was going to pass by them, remember? He was like, I'll see you guys over here. He was going to pass right by them. So he wasn't saving their lives. He was actually going out there to rescue them from their unbelief. That's what he was saving them from. They didn't understand the fish and the loaves. They didn't understand what God was doing through that. So he went out there to rescue them from their unbelief. He went out there to help their faith, not help their boat. And they weren't sinking. They weren't dying. They just weren't making any progress. And the disciples had the best seat and the house to see all of Jesus' miracles, all his teachings, and, the power, and his power displayed. If anyone should know who Jesus was and understand why Jesus came, it should have been the disciples. He was, and they were the closest to Jesus. But they were not making any progress in that area at all. They weren't understanding who Jesus really was. They failed time and time again, like you and I do, to apply their knowledge of who Jesus was to their present situation. They, they didn't apply who Jesus really was to where they were at in their life, where they're at in their storm. They weren't making any progress in the identity of Jesus to put their faith in who Jesus really was. And they knew what he was capable of. They know he could do the impossible. They knew, the disciples knew, that Jesus could do the miraculous. They knew that Jesus could teach circles around any scribe and Pharisee. They know he loves and cares for them because he said so, but they didn't see that all this pointed to who Jesus really was. And that's where the disconnect came in. They were supposed to get that from the fish and the loaves. They were supposed to understand who Jesus was from there, but they didn't. So Jesus so kindly, so lovingly gives them a different revelation of himself. In doing so, he sends them through another storm. So he gives them in the storm a revelation of himself. That's what this storm is all about, about showing these disciples who he really is. Look at verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them, but they saw him walking on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. They all saw him, were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. When they saw Jesus on the land, when they saw Jesus on the land beside the seashore, when they're walking, when they're back, and they, and they come back from their missionary journey, and they see Jesus walking, they don't say, it's a ghost. They don't say that when Jesus is walking on land. But when he's walking on the sea, they don't say, look, it's a ghost, it's a spirit. Yet Mark is saying that they didn't really see Christ when he walked on the land. They missed him when he was sitting beside the sea feeding the 5,000. They didn't really see him, but when Christ walked on the waves, when he walked on liquid waves like it was solid ground in the midst of yet another storm, that's when more of Christ was visible than they ever had on the land. That is what Mark is saying. More of Christ is visible 
when he's walking on the water than when he's walking on the land. This was an entirely new revelation of who Jesus was. When Jesus asks us to pass through the waters and the storms, it's to reveal who he really is. One of my best friends in the world, we talked about him last week, he was here a couple weeks ago, Britt. Him and his family are going through the storm of their life. The storm of their life. A lot of you guys have been following Daisy's little blog. Last night they had a horrible, horrible night of chemo. She woke up this morning just throwing up, sick, in pain. Horrible. This is what, I mean, and this is her second fight with this tumor. Second, do, second time in chemo in just this year alone. And she's tiny. And what Britt said this last weekend was, through this time of his, of his life, he could say this is true for Daisy, Isaiah, his son, Kate, his wife, and himself. He said, I've discovered Christ in a deeper way through suffering than I ever did through blessing. There is something that is so real about that, that you experience more of Jesus in a storm than you ever do when he's feeding you on green grass. When he's feeding you on green grass, you're like, this is so great, this is so awesome, but you really see Jesus. You really see his power in storms. And this little episode gets a bit lost on us because we don't, well, some of us don't, some of us do, but a lot of us don't have a robust Old Testament understanding. So some of this is lost. But Mark here is writing with all these echoes of the Old Testament. When Jesus comes walking on the water, who's the only one who can walk on water? Who's the only one who could walk on storms and floods? Storms and floods and water are an ancient picture of chaos. Who's the only one who can walk on that? God. In the storm of Job's life, when his world was falling apart, Job says in Job chapter 9, you alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Only you can trample on the waves of the sea. Only you can walk on my storm. In Psalm 77, when the children of Israel were remembering the Exodus, the psalmist writes in verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Your way was through the sea, your path through great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led the people like a flock. Who's the only one who can lead people through water? as on dry ground. Who's the only one who can walk on storms? God. And even that strange part of this story that we read has some Old Testament overtones as well. Because Mark says, he meant to pass them by. Now, if, you're, if you study the Old Testament, you know, oh wait, that sounds like something that happened in the Old Testament. When Moses asked to see God's face, God said, no. You cannot see my face, but stand here and I will pass by you, and you will see my glory. Jesus was passing by, wanted to pass by them to show them who he really was. Who's the only one who can walk on water? Who's the only one who can deliver you out of storm's life? Who's the only one who can do this? You guys didn't really get it with the fish and the loaves, but I'll show it to you now. God. And it says that he meant to pass by. Even what he told them when they flipped out, they're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, we're haunted, we're dead, we're going down. Jesus says, do not be afraid, for 
it is I. Or translated literally, for I am. That's what he says to him. Ego Amy. I am. When God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, which is a wonderful story if you've never read it in Exodus, God is talking to Moses through a burning bush, and he says, listen, I've heard the outcry of my people, my oppressed people. I want you to deliver my people. I want you to march up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. I want you to lead them out of bondage. And Moses asks a very good question. Um, who should I say sent me? Burning bush? I mean, that, I don't know if that's going to go over well, God. Who do you want me to say sent me? Or sent, who, who, do, who do I say sent me? And then God says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am the God, the self-existent and therefore not dependent on anything else for his own existence, God sent you. I am the God, creator and sustainer of all things that exists, God, that's who sent you. I am God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am God, eternal in my existence. I am and I will be God. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am. All that Jesus is doing here and walking on, this, on water is like pointing back to who he really is. He's the only one that can walk on storms life, on life of the storms. He's the only one who can pass by and show you his glory. And he is the I am. On the land, they saw his humanity. In the storm, they saw his divinity. That's the point here. They see who Jesus really is. Now, what does this mean? This means that Christ is never so truly Christ than in the storms of your life. I'm going to say that again. Christ is never so truly Christ than in the storms of your life. I know that's a pretty um, cheesy statement that, you know, you have to hit rock bottom in order to find God. Now, I don't really believe that, but I think that's, that's fitting because sometimes... In our own lives, we just kind of think ourselves too self-sufficient to need God. But when we realize in the storms of life that we are not sufficient, then we realize that we need a Savior. So Christ is never so truly Christ in the storms of our lives. Christ is Christ when on Sunday morning, he speaks a gentle word to our sorrowing heart. But Christ is even more so when in the midst of your life storm, he says, wind and waves be still and you see Jesus. So why is this? Why is Christ more clear in the storms of our life? Well, to put it negatively first, that's always fun. To put it negatively, you and I are so self-reliant, you and I are so self-sufficient that most of our life is proving our existence. We're so self-sufficient, and I know that this is some of us in this room. This is, to some degree, even me right now that I wrestle with all the time with God, that I try to give over to God all the time. So I know this is some of us. We try to prove our own existence to ourselves, to our parents, to our boss, to our peers, to our friend, or maybe even to the world, or maybe even to God. We want to prove that we can make it in this chaotic world, in this chaotic city, that our existence is not an accident, that the money poured into our schooling wasn't a waste, that the person who married us or wants to marry us didn't make a mistake, and the person who hired us made the best decision of their career. We want to prove ourselves to everybody. And what do the storms in life do? 
they totally humble us. They, don't sh they show us that we're not in control, that we need real help, that we need to be rescued. And it's in the storms we realize that we are totally insufficient, but Christ is all sufficient. But to put it positively, the reason why we see Christ in the storms of our life is because Christ is more himself when he is above everything else. When he is seen as greater and stronger than even life's most threatening storms. He is more Jesus when you are in the hardest time of your life and Jesus is more beautiful and more present and more real and more attractive. Christ is most of all Christ when he forgives you of that sin that you don't think can ever be forgiven. Because that is what Jesus has come to do, to forgive and restore the most broken of people. Jesus is most truly Jesus when he pardons the most heinous of sins and forgives the most vile of sinners. I mean, what do you think that Jesus came to do? Do you think he come for little sinners with their little sins and halfway put together people with their small problems? Jesus is not some little savior for little sinners to worship a little bit. Jesus come to rescue us completely. This is why we need to see Jesus in the storm and recognize him for who he is and worship him because Christ is Christ indeed when the gross hatred, deplorable sexual practices, cynical unbelief, and dark hearts are washed clean by the blood of Christ. That is when Christ is more clear. You might be here and think, but God can't really help me in my trial God can't possibly help me in what I'm going through. Then you, if you think that, if you're like, there's no way that God can help me right now, there's no way he can be a present help in my time of need, maybe for people that grew up in the church, but not me. Maybe people who really ascribe to this stuff, but not me. He can't really be my help. Then, if that's the case, you, like the disciples, see Christ as a ghost. You don't really see him for who he is. If you really saw him, you would see that there is nothing too trivial or too great for Jesus to handle. Because they didn't understand the fish and the loaves, Jesus gives them a different revelation of his identity. You didn't understand the fish and the loaves, let me show you who I really am. I am God in flesh come to save you. And lastly, a different response. What's it going to take for us to see Christ in a real way, for who he really is. What is it going to take for that to happen? The disciples are a picture of us. That's why the, the, the Gospel of Mark makes me laugh. I mean, I laugh a lot when I read the Gospel of Mark, because it's so true. Like, they think he's a ghost. I would totally think Jesus is a ghost. Totally. I would totally think I'm going down. I would be that guy every single time. And the disciples point to that. Disciples show me that, oh man, I'm really that cheesy. I cheese out all the time. So what's it going to take? Now, we've talked about a couple different motifs in this, uh, in this book, okay? I like that word. It's a fun word. One of the motifs is, is the secret messianic motif, where Jesus tells everybody, hey, don't tell anybody who I am. He heals somebody. He's like, shh, don't tell them it was me. And somebody, the people that see who, who Jesus really is, he tells them, hey, don't tell anybody. There's a secret messianic motif, and the reason why Jesus tells almost everyone who thinks they know him 
not to tell a soul about who he is is because they don't have the whole picture yet. It's like, hey, don't tell anybody. You haven't seen it all yet. Don't tell anybody because this is not the whole story. And those who recognize that Jesus is Messiah have much to learn about what that means. And here we see a new motif that's entered into the narrative that will carry us through to the end, and it's the disciples' unawareness. Their absolute unawareness. Up to this point, they've just, be, they've just been bystanders. They've stood back, they've watched Jesus do all these great things, but here and now they start to interact and not believe in Jesus. They have hard hearts. Jesus will say this again in a couple chapters. Their hearts are hard. Nobody gets Jesus. Nobody really understands until the end. The controlling symbol for interpreting the real Jesus in Mark's gospel is the cross. And that happens from chapter 8 on. He says it over and over again from chapter 8. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. And if anyone wants to follow me, they have to take up their cross and follow me. Jesus can be rightly understood and rightly followed only as the Son of Man who will surrender power in order to suffer and die. And this is what brings this dramatic tension in the book of Mark. No one truly sees Jesus for who he is. The ones who do, he tells them not to say anything. The ones who don't, reject him. The ones who follow him, some of him leave him later. The disciples keep missing key lessons over and over again. No one really sees Jesus until the cross. Because Jesus is and who he is is wrapped up in what he came to do, suffer and die for our sins. And Jesus would go to his death under false charges, a brutal torture, mocking crowds. He would be hung on a bloody cross, praying for the forgiveness of his enemies, innocent and finally breathing his last breath. And during that time, Mark records something very, very important. He says, when Jesus breathed his last breath, there was this secular Roman centurion standing at the foot of the cross facing Jesus. And he says this, truly, this man was the Son of God. And finally, in Mark's narrative, he's not rebuked. Finally, in Mark's narrative, he's not told to keep quiet. Because the Roman guard sees Jesus for who he really is. And Mark leaves it there. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, but then Jesus said, don't tell anybody. He leaves it there for everybody to see. And Mark goes, you want to know who Jesus really is? Here he is. Go to the foot of the cross. That's who Jesus is. And I want the world to know. Tell everybody. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The real Jesus can only be rightly known at the cross, and that's it. And when Jesus was on the cross, he was thrown into the ultimate storm, the only storm that could really take us all out, the storm of the judgment of God for our sins. And Jesus, Jesus dove into that storm headfirst for us, took our pain, took our penalty, If you only know Jesus as a teacher or a spiritualist or a humble peasant, you don't have the whole picture of who Jesus really is. He is God who came in flesh. And even just that story, Jesus on the mountain praying, coming off the mountain, on the sea, on their storm, in their boat for them, 
as a picture of what Christ has come to do. He's humbled himself that we can be exalted. He went to the cross that we can have life. The only way that we get through storms and we see Jesus clearly is by looking to him and what he's done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you for living the life that we could never, ever, ever live. Lord, all of us in here are like the disciples, just so cheesy. And we need your help. Some of us are in storms, some of us are not in storms. I pray that we would see you and we wouldn't miss it, God. That you would this morning, by your grace, pass by us. Show us your glory. I pray for anyone who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray that they would do so today. They'd place their faith in you. They would turn from their sins. They would repent. They would, they would agree with you that they need you. They need to turn from their sin. And that, Lord, you would, as your word says, when we repent, times of refreshing come from the presence of God. That we get God. Jesus, thank you. I pray, Lord, for people who are really, really struggling right now. Storms of their life. Probably the hardest part of their life right now. Up to this point, they're going through it this moment. I ask that you would be near them. I pray they would see you more clearly than they've ever seen you. And I ask God for us that are sitting on green grass, eating our fill, it's just great, the sun's shining, it's so good that we would not miss the lesson that you are our shepherd. Help us, God. We turn to you in repentance and love and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.